0: When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. So welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where I take the questions of the day and try to answer them. And today we're looking at a text of scripture that describes moving in, when God gets his first house, first apartment, hard to say, um, the comparisons to modern life, what they would be. But um, I hope hope you get what you need in this holiday season. Amen. The Daily Office jumps over to the scene from the new kingdom of David. David is still a rustic warrior like the king that preceded him, Saul. David is the first king of his house of his dynasty. Um, Saul's house has ended, Jonathan's line has ended, and now he's the king. He pretty early on conquers Jerusalem from the Jebusites. Jerusalem's a pretty hard city to conquer, even um, even in those times. And they sneak into the city um, through a water gate. And you can, if you go there today to Jerusalem, you can, you can sneak through that same gate um, with a tour guide. But the uh, conquering of Jerusalem from the Jebusites harkens back to the moment where Abraham meets the king of Salem, Melchizedek, king of Salem, Jerusalem, uh, probably related right there. And Jerusalem is again part of the drama of salvation. This this city becomes uh, again involved in the plot of how God saves God's people. Uh, perhaps even the Garden of Eden starts here, and there the plot begins in the Bible. And so now that the city's conquered, they bring the tabernacle in. There's only one or two hiccups when they bring the tabernacle in. First is poor Uzzah. They are transporting the Ark of the Covenant on a little cart, and Uzzah uh, reaches up to steady the cart as it's shaking. Uh, They're you know, these roads were gravel. It put it, That's putting it uh, gently, um, really just rocky paths. And this cart is uh, struggling. It's a new cart. There's probably new oxen on it or something. And he reaches out and he is struck dead. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. So it's very clear what happened. Um, and then they keep going. And they keep dancing and David is getting hot. It's hot out there and he's taking off his clothes and he's dancing before the Lord as the uh, Levites are playing the music and they're dancing and they're processing and he's twirling in his linen ephod. Hard to know exactly what the linen ephod was. Um, It is the word used for the priestly garments that the priests were wearing. So maybe there's a little bit of overlap between David as the king and David as the priest. Hard to know, but it's a, a fairly slight garment. Not, doesn't cover a lot, like a hospital gown maybe. Only covers 50%. And he's out there and they've got a big feast going. But David's wife, Michal, Michelle, Michael, however you pronounce her name, um, mocks her husband and says the king has uncovered himself. He's look he looks like a servant out there, a slave out there. He's a looks like a vulgar drunk guy out there. So that is another hallmark of this entry into Jerusalem, this sort of bittersweet day of triumph, but also of the internal problems of David's personal life being put on display as well. Not to mention the killing of Uzzah. And then it says David is settled in his house. I don't know how long it takes you to settle into your house, you know, after you move. It takes a long time for most people, um, years sometimes. <laughs> you're still you still got boxes, you know, in the other rooms that you're not using or something. And the prophet Nathan comes to David, as, as the prophet Nathan does many times and says, how long is God going to stay in a tent? How long will he live in that tent out there? Um, When are you going to build him a house? And this becomes a discussion of our text today. The discussion of, will God need a house? Does God need a house? The answer is yes. And then the Lord comes into the conversation and says, I was fine living out in a tent. I didn't need a house. All those years I lived in a tent and I was fine. Um, But now it's time to do this. And then the whole conversation shifts from this house building to really the house of David being built, the lineage of David, the, the dynasty of his kingship being built. And that becomes the rest of the passage where he says that, you know, as long as you follow me, I'll, I'll reward you. And if you change that covenant and try to change that relationship, there'll be really bad consequences. And this sets out Really, all that we've read in the prophetic books, all the stuff that happens in the prophetic books are the outcome of the of David's descendants not keeping this covenant that God had made with, with David here after he moves into Jerusalem, when he gets settled into his house. We think about the people in our community that live in tents um, all winter and live outside. And we ask the same question that Nathan asked, see now, You're living in a house of cedar. Um, How long should the Ark of God stay in a tent? We are the temple of God. We are made in the image of God. We are God bearers in our lives as human beings. The dignity of every human being is profound. And the more we get to know people, the more we can see that. Um, Even people that live in tents on the side of the road. And so we ask that question. Is it okay for some people to live in houses us and others not to be able to these are the big questions that nathan asked david and ultimately we are being asked by the text even today um, just like david's solution to the question it's not so easy but it's not something that we don't work for david even though he knows he can't build the temple gets ready for it and builds, lays in supplies and builds diplomatic relationships with people that have the materials to build the temple um, even though he knows he's not the one that'll do it. And this is what we do. We try to make a tabernacle for God, a place for God to live, a temple. Um, first off, with the people that need it the most. that There should be no church buildings if there's people that don't have a place to live. Um, but then, as we work towards that, we work towards building this place for God, I this I have a meeting at eleven um about a place for us <laughs> to meet, um this is very real life uh stuff for church planting, and you are church planters if you're here today you're a church planter, and uh, you're part of this discussion of Nathan the prophet coming to David and saying, um it's time to build a house. Ultimately, we worship in a temple not made with hands, and that is the teaching of Christianity is that we don't need a building to worship God. Um, And you don't need a building to do a lot of things, um, for sure. And God didn't need a building. God makes that clear, God's self. Um, I was fine living out in the tent. You know, I took you from the sheepfolds, he says to David. I I beat all your enemies before you. I made a great name for you. I've done all this stuff for you. and, And I was fine living in a tent. But now it's time to take the next step and to build this building. The temple for all its glory and grandeur, all its blessing and all the ministry that it did also became a place of great tension. It is the place that when Jesus comes into the temple, um, creates the situation that results in his crucifixion. It is the temple politics, the temple internal rivalries and struggles that create the situation that Jesus walks into many, 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 like a thousand years later from this moment. And so the temple is both a symbol and a place where God dwells, but also a place where real humanity happens, both the good and the evil. And this is the other truth about all these institutions that God is building in the world. They are always human places, places where we should expect to find human people doing human things, which is often very good and often not very good. And so this is the tension of God's covenant relationship with God's people. He says that he's blessed them. And David, you know, looking back, we can see David as a great king, um, at least somebody who had a huge amount of influence, a huge, most of the Old Testament um, is devoted to his life. If you count the Psalms and you count 2 Samuel and 1 Samuel, um, a huge chunk of Writing is done on his life. Um, people are still being named after him. I'm sitting here right now. Uh, he's, his 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 uh, legacy continues in a really large, larger than life way. And yet, um, at this point in history, he is nobody. He is a nobody. He is the king that most of the tribes have sort of accepted. And as long as he can beat the Philistines, which he's had to in the last chapter. Um, he can be king. So this is not some sort of set in stone kingship that looks real stable. In fact, there's an incredible amount of subterfuge of coups and attempts to overthrow him in in his life while he's a king. So this is nothing established. So when God makes a promise that David's house will be established forever, that is the promise of God that actually happens in spite of all the circumstances. So the promises of God to you, whatever promises God has made to you, it's good to sort those out and say, what does God promise me? And then to say, I believe that will happen. I believe that will happen in God's time. Those promises, those things, especially those things that were caused by our childhood wounds, um, the things that we felt like we could never have and other people had an in, in easy abundance and maybe we didn't have. Um, and we've thought about that our whole lives and said, when am I going to get that? And we look for that in all kinds of places, uh, with all kinds of people and all kinds of situations, and we never quite find it. And we're always wondering, is God going to come through for us? Is God going to give us that thing that my heart, when I was seven and eight and nine and 10, really, really wanted? What is that that I need? And that is the promise of God that can come to you, that will come to you. That is the promise of God that came to David and and that David responded to by saying yes. So say yes to God today. God will give you the promises that God made and God will keep the promises God made to you in faith, in trust. So we wait in Advent, even though it seems like it's just a few more days to Christmas The Christian life is one long advent, waiting for the coming of Jesus, waiting for the coming of Jesus to meet those promises that God made to us in this life and in the life to come. Amen. Almighty God, who has given us grace at this time with one accord to make our common supplication unto thee, and hast promised through thy well-beloved Son that when two or three are gathered together in his name, thou wilt be in the midst of them. Fulfill now, O Lord, the desires and petitions of thy servants, as may be best for us, granting us in this world knowledge of thy truth, in the world to come, life everlasting. Amen.